0: Welcome back. We are about to wrap up our review of Netflix's Night Stalker, The Hunt for a Killer.
1: Episode 3 and 4 start to look at the media and eventual arrest and conviction of Ramirez. And we have a lot of thoughts. There were so many twists and turns and downright chilling footage in these episodes. We just need to get into it. So let's spill the tea. I'm Alyssa. I'm Erin. And And we are Crime Crime TV. Crime TV.
0: So episode three opens up with a list of 20 or so victims that just flash in front of the screen real quick. And it was bananas of how fast they
1: were coming up because I was literally thinking in my head like, oh, I need to keep a tally now. I did. I kept a count for I, until they started flashing super fast. And then I was like, oh, no. I was like, oh,
0: I needed to get a tally. Here's a good spot for me to do that. And I started tallying them. But then it was happening so quick.
1: I couldn't get my tallies fast enough. I was like a lot of victims. That's how many there was. A lot. I think I got up to 20-something before it got too fast for me to count. Oh, see, I was way before 20. I was like, it's still too fast. I'm getting nervous. It was, it did open on a good bit of chaos. Yeah. And, and then, even more chaos. I was really confused. I was like, I like checked. I was like, wait a minute. This is the right episode. Because it's just not at all where we left off. We're talking about we left right off with the dentist and finding mm-hmm. the card in the car that mm-hmm. they had obtained and then all of a sudden, there's this couple getting shot in the head and not dying and coming the fuck after Ramirez. I was like, what is happening?
0: Yeah, so if I would have shot somebody in the face and they were like, what? I just started screaming for their husband and then their husband comes in and I shoot them in the head and then they chase after me. You bet your
1: bottom dollar that I would shit my pants right then and there. I know, they were calling Ramirez a coward, saying he had a gun, like, he's he, this proves how much of a coward he is, and I'm like, I get the sentiment of that, but at the same time, that is hella terrifying.
0: Yeah, when that law enforcement officer said that he was a weakling and he really isn't dangerous, I wish I could have slapped him through the TV screen and gone back, what, 30 years now or so, and just slapped him
1: Up and down the East Coast. I don't care what kind of gun you have. If basically a zombie comes after, you go and run. I would have gone through the screen,
0: time, space, and everything in between. Just to slap the shit out of that person. Because this guy has already committed 20 plus crimes against people. And he'd be like, oh yeah, he's not dangerous. Shut the fuck up.
1: Yeah. This man
0: is a maniac.
1: This is a very explicit episode for us. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Sorry
0: everyone. Oh, you know this story, but our listeners do not know the story. It's a good story. So my own father was in a coma on the ventilator for COVID for a month and a half. And he's a redhead, and he metabolizes anesthesia a lot faster than every other person in the world. That's just how redheads are. And Whenever Ramirez shoots this couple, he thinks that they're supposed to be dead, and they just pop up and start chasing him around the room. This is exactly the kind of shit my dad did. He was ventilated, supposed to be in this coma on light sleeping mode, and he stands up on the side of the bed, and he looks at the nurse like, hey, can you get my shoes? We're getting the hell out of here. And he's still got the Dude, ventilator. Yeah, like the intubated. Yeah, he's still intubated, like, on the vent. And he's fuck this shit, we're getting out of here. The nurse that was in that room, that's exactly... The level of shit in my pants that Richard Ramirez probably was. (laughs) Probably. Oh my god. They won't die. (laughs) My god. So that's exactly the type of feeling that I'm sure Richard Ramirez had was like, oh my
1: god. (laughs) Get the hell out of here. These bitches are crazy. Beat them at their own game. Is that the lesson here? Is that what I'm hearing? Yes. When possible, always become the zombie bitch in
0: the room and chase people.
1: Excellent lesson. Yeah, perfect. One thing this it's the next note I have. I don't think that it's the next chronological thing in the documentary. One thing that I really noticed, and I think it's just because we just finished John Bennet. Mm-hmm. There's this returning theme of media craze starting to impede a case. The publicized information that wasn't supposed to be out and and media competing for all of these stories and just getting crazy theories and crazy information. I was like, oh, okay, this is a common thing. You know how I feel about that already. Yeah. We don't need to return to that. I just thought it was super interesting that we're seeing this again pop up. Speculation and false information's popping up in news reports and how much it affects a case and can impede officers in their job. So when the detective from San Francisco
0: talked about the perpetrator eating food from the fridge, vomiting on the floor, masturbating onto the living room carpet, and then carved a satanic symbol
1: into the wall... That is, like, five levels of chaos. What are you doing? you were doing too much. You gotta pick one or the other, honestly. And you know what, though? I have some extra information. This documentary actually did leave out some of the more disgusting parts of his criminal activity, surprisingly. There were also s- scenarios in some of these cases... I don't know if it was the ones they specifically chose for this documentary, but some of his victims, like, he even crapped on their floor and then jerked off on his own crap. What? Like, disgusting things, and I totally understand why they left it out of the documentary, but there were things in a lot of these cases that they don't even brush over because it was just inappropriate for anyone. I feel like that's even too explicit for this podcast. Like, too explicit for life. (laughs) Like, just n- not okay. i <laughs> just, just not okay. I'm not trying to kink shame anyone, but that's just too far. So there was some stuff left out of this case, but we understand why it was left out. But so one of the things that they never
0: addressed for us that I really needed them to is that from Glendale area, Los Angeles, where all these crimes were, to San Francisco, it's nearly six hours, 400 miles What the hell was he doing in San Francisco? Like, why did he just jump up there and hang out?
1: Randomly go up there, do a murder, and come back?
0: Several murders, apparently.
1: Yeah. No, I don't know. I I didn't even think about that at the time, actually. That's a good point. Why did he go up there? I guess in the scope of all the things, when when you finally get Richard Ramirez into custody... That's probably not what you're asking. You're probably not. So, what was the uh, trip to San Francisco? Did you have a good time? How was that? Yeah. Did you get How some San Francisco? sun? Cooler, warmer. Did you see the Golden Gate Bridge. Was it as pretty as the pictures? Got your Golden Gate Game. That's not. I'm sure that was so far off of the things on their list that they wanted to ask or interview him about. But yeah, that is curious. Why? Why the gander up to San Francisco? That's true. Yeah.
0: So back onto the media involvement just absolutely messing up a case whenever frank and gill were on their first flight that they could get to san francisco from burbank and those two little snot-nosed reporters were on their same flight do you know how quickly they have to move to be on the same flight as like the first responder people
1: yeah that was crazy i was like where did they get their info
0: honestly so they're on the same flight and they're snooping around and I just want people to mind their own damn business so damn bad. But these people, these journalists will not.
1: No, they did not. I think they were doing what journalists do, though. I don't know. Maybe I just don't like that profession. Yeah, okay. That's whenever fair.
0: it's done in the sneaky, sneak way. So, one of the things that really grinds my gears about this whole entire thing is that Mayor Feinstein, the mayor of San Francisco... Not even like some small town mayor like San Francisco, one of the largest cities in all the United States, gave up crucial information about the case that only law enforcement and the perpetrator would know. But whenever Sheriff Block called her out on the tomfoolery, it's exactly what she deserved. You should know not to divvy into all of these facts about the type of gun that was used, what shoes he was wearing. Like, you should just be like, hey, look out for this guy. He's... Caucasian possibly light skinned Hispanic, so many feet and inches tall, weighs so much, that's what you needed to be out.
1: Yeah, but what was her background? Maybe she had did not have any kind of like background or like detective work background. You
0: would think that whenever you're the mayor of a major city that you would have some type of education, not even a formal education, but things you can
1: say and cannot say. I think didn't they also say though that like the chief of police was supposed to tell her? Mm-hmm. Not to say that stuff, and maybe there was like a miscommunication that happened mm-hmm. too yeah. that contributed. I'm not gonna blame that 100% on her. I totally get your point, and I do agree to a degree. Agree to a degree. I'll say that five times fast. But I don't know. I think there was just like some overall miscommunication that may have gone on. You know what we call that? What?
0: Defuckery. <laughs> Defuckery. A woman called to give a tip that her father was a street person in the Los Angeles area, area, and made a friend on Skid Row named Rick.
1: Erin, tell the people about Skid Row. So, very bad part of town. Not a good place. Mental health patients often dropped off on Skid Row. More homelessness than not homelessness. Drugs, police barricades on parts of the city just to keep those people in that area because it's so bad and also also the home of the cecil hotel ding ding, ding 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 that's what i wanted okay
0: so in the scene where the san francisco detective and this friend armando were having their exchange armando acts like he doesn't know anything he he's giving this i ain't no snitch vibe and honestly that's me. I'm not going to snitch on you, Aaron. You wouldn't snitch on a full-blown serial killer, Alyssa. Okay, but hold on. But also, it's me when the detective starts to put the whooping on him. When he's, I'm going to beat the shit out of you, boy, if you don't tell me this right now.
1: I was like, is that allowed? 80s were a different time. Cause it like, was not allowed, was but it say, happened. I don't think you can do that.
0: <laughs> so, when he starts to beat the shit out of Armando, that is me. But when also Armando's getting the shit beat out of him and he's, okay, I'll tell you. I said, also me. I am on every end of the spectrum. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, literally that entire scene is just you as a person.
0: It's me having my internal conflict.
1: I just not to say, that's your inner monologue. <laughs> I'm going to beat the shit out of you. Yeah. Literally what's going on in my head. Oh my goodness. And then he's, oh yeah, you want to talk? Okay. Can we talk about how they did not actually name the killer until episode three? The end of episode three. Because that's whenever we were able to identify him. I know. And you know what? I can't tell if I liked that or not. On one hand, I really liked that we discover stuff as the detectives do. Yep. I like that. Chronologically. I do appreciate that. At the same time... There's a whole documentary about this serial murderer, serial killer, and they don't say his name until basically the last 45 minutes.
0: Yeah, but I think that the way that they wanted to present this documentary, it's how, like, we're following how it was in the 80s for all these people that were involved. And we're learning information as it's made available to us, including his name.
1: Yeah, that's true. So, they finally, they're talking about getting this close to capturing Ramirez. And they finally have a name. They are really honing in on him, getting ready for this arrest. And I really appreciated Gil being like, we could kill him and say that it happened in in defense of ourselves or like in a situation. We could just kind of, you know, yeah, get whoa, him and be done with it. That's what I'm for! But, but I really appreciated that he was like, but also, I want this dude to be brought in alive because I want to know why. And I appreciate that because I need the whys. See,
0: I do need the whys, but I'm also a very chaotic person. You are? And it's on site for people like this. I'm ready to fight at any point. And if you haven't concluded yet, just by the way, I discussed these crimes. I'm an Aries. I'm fiery and I'm ready to fight at any time.
1: Yeah, Alyssa's on-site chaos. (laughs) I'm
0: on-site chaos. I wake up each morning and I choose chaos. (laughs) I go to bed each night and I'm ready for chaos the next day. Don't catch me while I'm sleeping, though.
1: This was a wild arrest story. We're talking like car chase, foot chase, gets eventually basically grabbed by neighbors. I love it. The people out with their pitchforks were like, Oh, hell no. I like how he's, like, away at Ari- in Arizona
0: visiting his brother, which is, like, what every serial killer does on their off time. Sure. And he comes back to L.A. and the whole city's like, oh, surprise, motherfucker. We know who you are now. Yeah. And so, like, people that are all around the Los Angeles area are like, hey, that's him, that's him, that's him. And then it, like, brings me such joy and comfort whenever he gets to this one neighborhood and they notice him and they're like, you know what? let's go. And they take every opportunity to beat the hell out of
1: him. You know what? I think I found it amusing and I don't know if this is like psychotic or what.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) You don't even know what I'm gonna say yet. It doesn't matter. I found it so amusing that Ramirez was like, I'm just pissed that I was couldn't fucking run and that's why I got caught. Because I got tired. That's my level of pettiness. Like, I'm not mad that I'm getting caught for, like, murder. But I'm mad that I just got tired while running. Because that's me every day. And just that kind of petty anger. And then... I don't murder people, just to clarify. Petty anger. I get it.
0: I like how he tells the people... After they were like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go get my gun to shoot him right here. I'm like, yep, those are my people. But I like how... He says, I'm lucky the cops are coming. As American poet, Cardi B would say, I know that's right.
1: <laughs> I can't imagine being a serial killer. At this point, he knew he was caught. But to then be like, I have beaten people to death, but I don't want to be beaten to death. Thank goodness right. the cops are going to save me. That is that is so disgustingly effed up. All right. And then he talks about, well, if I had a pistol, the crowd would be scared. Duh.
0: But seriously, there was like 40 people there. Yeah. And they all had their pitchforks and torches ready to get you.
1: But yeah, that was, this was probably the wildest arrest story that I've ever heard. I appreciated that they talked about what happened after. The groupies were very weird.
0: Oh, Oh, so I made the comment in my notes. And this is me searching the internet, being a web sleuth. Yeah. So the people with the internet feel the way about him like some people do about Ted Bundy. They think he's sexy. As if the librarian at the beginning of episode four didn't describe him as a razor mouth, musty (laughs) musty-ass, crusty-ass, dusty-ass, beanpole-ugly-ass man.
1: Okay, but see, this is one thing I actually was waiting to bring up last episode because I knew we were going to get to it here. Here's my, de- here's my thing. This entire documentary, episodes one through three, he is described as disgusting, teeth, dirty, nasty, They horrible. literally compared him to a goat. Goat like a troll. They made him out to be this absolute troll of a man. Okay? Disgusting human. And then we get to episode four and we're seeing all the trial footage. He wasn't ugly. I need new friends. <laughs> I cannot with <laughs> you right now. But I'm just saying, like, this whole time they described him as this ugly-ass, dirty, gross person, which he was. But there was a certain attractiveness to him. I think it's because he has 2% body fat. Maybe it was because in prison, like, he finally had to take a bath or something. They made him wash his hair and stuff. Yeah, maybe he was, like, super grimy committing all these crimes. And then they got in prison and they were like, take a fucking shower. Shoot him with a soap bar.
0: (laughs) I will say that. I know this is totally a tangent, but in some of the images of him, prior to being in court, his hair is really greasy, but then, like, in the courtroom, he had fair faucet hair.
1: He did. He had that flowing mane. Like, where and where the hell did this come also, from? Also, can we just... Who? I want to know. I guess... Right, give me a name. Who let that man wear sunglasses? Wear a suit and sunglasses in the courtroom I like know. fucking Top
0: Gun. Who the fuck do you think you are? I know, he was in the danger zone.
1: <laughs> I was like, what is happening here? He's what incarnation? Like, he's not like a rock star on like cocaine charges. Like, what is going on? Who do you think you are, Mick Jagger? <laughs> like,. Seriously. That was hideous. Why did that bailiff not slap those sunglasses off his face?
0: Yeah, I knew that's exactly
1: where you were going because that whole time I was like, this crusty ass goat man. Why, Beanpole? Oh my goodness. And you know what? The strangest part about hearing about his trial and all of the charges against him Mm -hmm. was that we'll probably actually never know everything he did. No. Not even half of the things he did had enough evidence for them to charge him with. So it's really insane to me that all these years later, and especially since he's now dead, we will never know how many more victims there were of Richard Ramirez that don't get, obviously their families have mourned them if they were killed. But the fact that we don't know that it was Ramirez and can't give the family that level of justice is pretty hurtful. He got away, you think, oh, 43 counts of murder, like he didn't get away with anything. But he got away with a lot, actually, which is insanity. Because I know that probably a lot of those families are sitting on a, a loved one that was murdered and... They never really got an answer because it wasn't linked to him, and if it wasn't linked to him, even though it probably was him, it was probably not pinned on anyone else, so they probably just have no answers, and I think that would be heartbreaking. One of the things that I saw when I was doing my research
0: that I only bring up because you bring it up is that his first victim allegedly was this nine-year-old girl in April of 1984, I want to say, but he was never charged with it because you could go through the judicial process and spend that money but he's never getting out of jail regardless
1: yeah and so now that we're at the trial phase i have to come back to the very first woman that i talked about anastasia the bravery of a child that young to be like i want to speak up so that others don't experience this even at a young age that is just mind-blowing to me. And, and I was a little mad that they didn't move forward with those charges. She was, as a child, willing to speak about that to stop it from happening to other people and to bring justice to his other child victims. And as adults, they were just, this is too difficult to talk about, so we're not going to charge him. Yeah. And-, and I get it that the time and money and resource when he was already going to be jailed forever basically. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I was a little mad that they didn't give her the chance to speak out and show the crimes that he had done.
0: Let me give you a different perspective. Okay.
1: We're doing a lot of that. I know because it's really hard.
0: But to put a dozen or more children into this where maybe they were so young that they could work through just general therapy to work through that kind of issues that's going to linger with them for the rest of their lives. But then I think it would impact them harder if they had to remember every single detail and see him in court and go through every tiny little detail and emotion that went with these attacks on these children. I think you're beating a dead horse at that point and it's at the expense of the children. If I went through a traumatic thing like that, I would just want to walk away from it instead of going through probably months worth of trials. Okay, that's fair. I see that point of view. I think as a parent, I'm not a parent, but I'm protective over some small children. And I wouldn't want to put them on the stand where they have to testify and talk about it. If I knew that the bad guy was going away forever... I would be satisfied with that and walk away with a less damaged child
1: yeah i i think where i initially was upset about that was i think really because of the bravery of anastasia as a kid being able to stand up and say i want to talk about this like to help others yeah so i guess that's why i was initially upset that they didn't go through that but i i do yeah you're right i understand that point too that's a good point
0: Can I give you some fun, not fun facts, these are not fun facts, some backstory that might make you think a little bit differently? Yes. So episode four starts with them talking about some sexual sadism that he was exposed to whenever his cousin came back from Vietnam and showed him pictures of women that he raped tortured and murdered and that same cousin shooting his wife in front of Richard Ramirez and how that impacted him but they didn't talk about the traumatic brain injuries that Richard Ramirez experienced as a young child oh when he was two years old a dresser fell on top of him crushed him and nearly killed him and he was knocked unconscious and had a severe gash across his head probably messed up his brain And then at five years old, he was knocked unconscious again by a swing in the park that his sister was swinging on and had a major laceration across his head as well. He suffered abuse at the hands of his father and, of course, the cousin incidences. I think all those things lead up to him becoming the Night Stalker. But then I went into the Journal of Violent and Aggressive Behavior and the University of Glasgow posted this journal article it's the neurodevelopmental and psychosocial risk factors in serial killers and mass murderers. Okay. okay. Dropping some science on us tonight. I know. So they analyzed like every bit of mass murderer, serial killer, autobiographies, research that they could find. And they compiled a list of 239 eligible killers. 28% of them were to have high probable or possible autism spectrum disorder. And that's compared to the 1 in 100 probability from across the globe. 21% had suffered a definite or suspected head injury. And then 55% of those people have autism spectrum disorder and or a head injury. And or had experienced psychosocial stressors such as a significant traumatic event during childhood. Wow. So I say that because it was later found that it's very likely that ramirez was on the autism spectrum disorder or he had autism to some degree and that of course he had traumas and he's experienced stressful traumatic experiences in his life as a young child so he had all three that kind of are prone to becoming serial killers yeah so we get into the discussion of nurture versus nature
1: I was thinking about that earlier and we could go into a whole other episode about this, but it does beg the question, could something have prevented this beyond obviously not having a dresser dropped on you? But are there things that people need to be looking for to address these kinds of issues earlier on? And also... And I think this plays in part, it being the 80s, but would there have been a case able to be made for insanity charges, pleading insanity on this? I couldn't speak one way or another. It's just a discussion topic. We'll never know. It's a moot point now, but for sure, I think not that people don't deserve jail time or punishment for committing absolutely terrible crimes like this. But also, do we have a responsibility as a society to recognize when something is really wrong that's, with someone? I think that's where
0: the research on traumatic brain injuries needs to really look at because Richard Ramirez in his youth was also a football player and it's probable that he had many concussions and concussion screening and that type of research was not as a dance as it is now. But you also look at somebody like Aaron Hernandez, who had multiple concussions and committed a murder. So I would be very interested to see how many of these serial killers have traumatic brain injuries and...
1: Yeah, that would be really interesting. Yeah. Good point. Okay, now we have to talk about... We're not quite finished with episode four. We've got to talk about this ending. I need to get it i need to talk about this ending tell me girl we have this final monologue from detective gill and he talks about and recites the prayer that he says every night oh yeah and then says that it ends with the name ramirez and i was like what in tarnation is he that godly of a man that he is praying for this murderer or i didn't understand that it left so many more questions
0: yeah so the way i saw it is that this guy consumed enough of your life as is but then to pray about him each night i'm like you gotta leave him in the past like you can pray for the victims and their families and i get As a Christian, where he's coming from, like, praying for Richard Ramirez. But as a police officer, you gotta compartmentalize.
1: It just, it was such a shock factor. And I think this is where I will say there was value to having some of Gil's personal life and life story in there. Was why, after all of that and all of the familial issues that this case and trying to find Ramirez caused him... Mm-hmm. Why on earth would he want to spend even a second more of his time on a trash human being? And it was a bit of a shock factor ending. I was like, "Whoa, you're gonna leave me there?" Come back now. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Wait, whoa, 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 we gotta revisit." Yeah, what's going on here? It took me off guard at the ending, and I think that's what they wanted. They wanted a shock ending for this documentary. Let's explore this as a documentary then. This is the perfect segue. Okay. Okay. Obviously, they went for a shock factor ending. I didn't like it. I didn't want the shock factor ending. (laughs) Closure. We want closure. Yeah. It left more questions because I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why? I just, and maybe it's just because I didn't get it. I would not be praying for a serial killer. I don't give a shit what my religion was. Like, I would not be praying for a serial killer. Like, they can go F off. But anyway, so I didn't like the shock factor ending. Not cool. Bad documentary. But other things that I did like about this documentary. Here's some things I did really like. First of all, the cinematography on this documentary was beautiful. It was gorgeous. The scenes, the colors used, the lighting. The transitions. The transitions. This was actually, in that respect, I thought, beautifully done. Mm-hmm. I really like the the quotes from Ramirez, his testimony, if you will, being used in purple throughout the documentary to highlight it and bring attention that this was him, even though we didn't actually know by name who he was. Yeah. I think it was brilliant to do that in a separate color and like have these blurbs adding to the narrative. Brilliant. A plus work. Music. I was thoroughly creeped out. Didn't like the music but it was effective because I was creeped out.
0: And that's what counts.
1: Sometimes you get that kitschy music in documentaries where it's like and you're like oh my god. Like, Like Pink
0: Panther theme song type of stuff. Yeah
1: but this was actual good mood setting music. Yeah. It's what I need from a documentary. Suspense. I wasn't super happy with the timeline. Gotta always address my timeline. I wasn't super happy with it. We did get a timeline, but it was sparse. It was not consistently paced. Okay. You know, okay. we're at day 73. Then we're at day like 124 in the span of 10 minutes. And then we go 30 minutes and we're at day 126. It was just, it was not consistent. Okay. I would have liked it laid out in front of me along with a crime count, like a body count. Oh, girl. <laughs> I like having all the information. I, I like the data, and I didn't have that. So I did want a running count, I would have appreciated that, it's not here, whatever. Credible sources, obviously. These, this was some of the most direct sources I think we've ever seen from a documentary. Yeah. You can't contest the interviewees here. Brilliant work, A+. plus. This was also, I think we touched on this in our episode from last week, this is how you do context correctly. Not thrown in the middle of weird spots and unrelated tangents, right at the beginning, set it with the music, tell us where we're at, move forward with the story. Brilliant. Crime scene photos and actual news footage from the time. Ayo! (laughs) Hallelujah! Seriously. Brilliant. Loved it. No complaints. I like a good gory crime scene. Sorry. Is that insensitive to say? Nope. I appreciate having the real pictures and not the renditions.
0: I think for people that are into true crime, we are already morbid people. And I think if you're going to make shows, documentaries, and media in general about crimes, heinous crimes, then seeing realistic... Crime photos isn't as shocking to us because we are the morbid people of the society.
1: And I, yeah, and I think it's. I would rather see actual released crime scene footage than a CGI or a rendition, like an Mm -hmm. actor rendition. It's a more poignant statement. Yeah. For the documentary. So that was good. Okay. For me, I liked seeing the real footage. Oh, did you notice? the repeated usage of flies. There were scenes throughout, filler scenes or transitions, and often they featured flies. Because it highlighted how musty he was? I think so. I think you could speculate on all kinds of reasons why flies would have been chosen for this. But I noticed that a lot of the transitions, especially in the first two episodes, featured flies. just doing something mundane, like one caught in a spider web, one floating in a bowl of water, one crawling on the windowsill. It was very mundane little things, but there was all this like close-up macro cinematography with flies, and I kind of like that touch. Only you things that I notice. Let's see what else. The older news clips to supplement the story, like when it showed Gil doing his PSA to all the officers. Yeah, and it was like actually him back uh, in the day.
0: Yeah, and it looked like some buddy cr- crime cop film. <laughs> Uh, Hey guys, Gil here, Los Angeles PD, Homicide Division.
1: I liked that they were able to include all of that original footage. It added a definite authenticity to this documentary that I quite enjoyed. I liked it. Manly, yes, but I like it too. Have you seen that commercial? I guess not. It's it's like a commercial for some kind of detergent that has a certain smell, I don't know, and the housemaid is this really old german woman and she comes up to the guy in the bathtub and i don't know or the washing machine somewhere they're like doing what i don't know okay i can't remember the context exactly but she just she comes up and she goes manly yes but i like it too it's like one of my favorite commercials i'll find it in soon to you. Really okay fun. if anyone knows what i'm talking about back me up here just email and be like Alyssa, that commercial's a thing and we'll know what you're talking about yeah, final review of this documentary. Alyssa, how many cups of tea are you going to give this documentary as a whole? Whole picture overall.
0: Hmm. Where are we at? I'm going to go four and a half. I really did enjoy this. We had a lot of good things to say about it. I just was not absolutely over the moon about it. I, mean, I think it was great. I think it was lovely. I just, it didn't have that extra oomph. That deserves my golden buzzard.
1: I'm actually gonna go, I'm gonna go four. But first, if you listened, last week I gave this, a, I was at a three and a half last week. I think this week I am gonna go for four. For all of the reasons on the documentary itself that I have just listed. I took away some point for what I thought was unnecessary cop background. A few unanswered questions and I had to detract points for the shock factor ending that left me wanting something else.
0: All right, guys, that's our review of Night Stalker, The Hunt for a Killer.
1: Heck yeah. Let us know your thoughts, things you liked, things you disliked. If you disagree with us and hate us, let us know. You can find us on
0: Instagram and Twitter at Crime TV. We have a Twitter now. Whoop whoop. TikTok
1: at Crime TV. Send us an email, crimetv at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, Crime TV. It's all T-E-A-V, no dash. Get in touch with us. Like our posts. Drop us a review.
0: We have a very exciting summer coming for you guys. Yes, we do. Starting in July, we're going to start talking about some major developments for Crime TV, and we want you to be included. So follow us on all of our social media accounts to know the latest.
1: And before we forget... What episode are we doing next week? What do you need to watch to prepare for?
0: Our listeners need to be prepared for The Sons of Sam, A Descent into Darkness. It is Netflix's brand new docuseries. Earlier this month, we made a post saying that we were going to do all of them on the very last Monday of the month. Seeing as how this Documentary is the same setup as Night Stalker. We decided we're going to break it up into two episodes The Sons of Sam. Go watch it. I'm Alyssa. I'm Erin. And, and that's, that's the tea. tea.